Before I get to my next guest, John Cook, I want to give a shout out to a few more of our sponsors, starting with our friends over at Finn Cycles. It's time to rethink golf. The game is at a tipping point. The young people we need in the game don't have four and a half hours to spend out on the course. Pairing Finn Cycles with a desire to play ready golf can cut playing time in half because all golfers go directly to their own golf ball. Plus, it's tons of fun. Go online to finscooters.com and click on Find a Finn for a course that has them near you. I also want to give a shout out to our friends over at Golf Pride. Did you know that Golf Pride lets you rep your favorite team while also using the number one grip in golf? Your team, your grip, MCC Hybrid Grips, the number one grip series worldwide. Features an exclusive brush cotton cord in the upper hand for all weather performance with premium rubber in the lower hand for added feel. The new MCC Team Series is available in a variety of new color combinations so you can rep your favorite team out on the course. Available in standard and midsize. Check it out online by going to golfpride.com. And folks, this segment of the show is sponsored by our friends over at the PGA Tour Superstore. This segment of the show is brought to you by the PGA Tour Superstore. See why golfers everywhere are proud to call PGA Tour Superstore their golf pro shop. Visit them online at PGATourSuperstore.com. Now back to Chris and more of the show. All right, now back with me is Champions Tour Pro and Sirius XM Radio host John Cook. Let me remind you about John's background. He's from Toledo, Ohio, but grew up in Southern California. He went back and played his college golf at Ohio State, where he was a three-time All-American. He helped them win three consecutive Big Ten titles from 1977 to 1979 and the 1979 National Championship. He won six individual titles while at Ohio State. He also won the Les Bolstad Award for the low-stroke average in the conference from 77 to 79 and was inducted into the Ohio State Hall of Fame in 1986. John won the U.S. Amateur Championship in 1978 and finished second to Mark O'Meara in 79. John won several amateur championships, including the California State Am in 75 and the Ohio Amateur in 1978 and 79. Turned pro later on in 79. Won his first PGA Tour event in 1981 at the Bing Crosby National Pro-Am by beating Hale Irwin, Bobby Clampett, Ben Crenshaw, and Barney Thompson in a playoff. Won again at the 1983 Canadian Open, this time by beating Johnny Miller in a playoff. In all, John won 11 times on the PGA Tour, 10 times on the Champions Tour, and has 7 top 10 finishes in majors. He was named the 1992 PGA Tour Comeback Player of the Year. In 2013, he was inducted into the Southern California Golf Association's Hall of Fame. You can now hear him on uh, Connected with John Cook on Sirius XM's PGA Tour channel. And I'm excited to have him back with me again tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, John, thanks for coming back on the show. My pleasure, Chris. How are you doing? I'm fantastic, John. How are you? That's a stroll down memory lane right there. I don't even remember some of that. That was great. (laughs) (laughs) Glad I could help. You did a lot, my Let's friend. You, uh, you certainly deserve to be in those Hall of Fames. <laughs> well, I don't know about that, but the Les Bolstad Award and all that stuff, that's, that's good stuff. <laughs> Indeed. John, I want to start our time tonight. I want to get your thoughts on the WGC Match Play Tournament from the weekend. We don't get a lot, a lot of Match Play events on the tour outside of the Ryder Cup and the President's Cup. What did you think about the event and what you saw? Yeah, overall, you know, it's a great event. It's match play. Um, they've, they've gone through different formats in the last you know, years that they've had now and, um, you know, different venues, different 
different formats, and I think the one that they have now is working. Obviously, they, you know, Billy Horschel and, and um, Scotty Sheffer, two wonderful players, two young Americans, which was exciting for us. They're in the final. Not, not the, the sexy final that you would want to have, but you know what? They earned their way. They won their matches. They did what they needed to do, and uh, they got to the final, and, you know, it, it, it's match play, and that's what you get. And uh, Billy uh, kind of wore out uh, Scotty Sheffer and a very worthy champion. He's won events before. He's a FedEx Cup champion. He's won a number of events. So Billy Horschel is no joke and uh, a very, very worthy champion. And, John, when you get down to the finals, I mean, those two guys played a lot of golf, particularly yeah. on the weekend. I mean, Billy Horschel and Scotty Scheffler, you know, they played uh, over 120 holes for the tournament and nearly 70 holes when you look at Saturday and Sunday. Seems like it'd be tough to play great golf by the time you get to that last round. Is that is that too much to ask of those guys and then to turn around in a couple of weeks to have to go to Augusta? I, I don't think so, Chris. It is. That's that's the the uh, that's the format. That's that's the event. You know that going in. And you know that if you're going to get to the final and try to win a golf tournament, that's what you're going to be faced with. We did that in the U.S. Amateurs. We did that uh, any of those match play events. You know, Western Amateurs. You played you know, 72 holes, top 16 get in. Um, those were long events as well. So down to the end, that if you're going to win this golf championship, you're going to play a lot of golf, and you. You have to be, you're not going to have your best all the time. It's just a matter then on, on, uh, you know, kind of preserving where you are, being efficient at what you do, and, uh, you know, playing match play. And that, you're beating the guy no matter what. Five beats six, four beats five. That's when it comes down to the final and you're kind of, you know, your mind isn't on the same page as your body is because your body is slowing down, but your mind is going at a thousand miles an hour. That's John, when you've played in match play tournaments, what's what's been your strategy? Do you go out there and just try to shoot the best score possible? Or does it change, you know, that strategy? Does it change based on what you're watching your opponent do? Do you adjust based on that? I do adjust, Chris. I always went into every single match trying to beat the golf course, trying to beat par. And then you adjust going along. If you, you know, get to the back nine and you've got somebody buried, you know, you know so be it. If you go to the back nine and you're three or four under par and you're even one down, so be it as well. Then you start to adjust. But I always thought the first nine holes of match play, for me, was a match play against the golf course. I didn't want to give away holes, you know, making bogeys. Uh, you know, I, I didn't want to give away the par threes, making bogeys. Uh, but that was my strategy. So, you know, if I needed to adjust, I adjusted. If I didn't, I just tried to keep beating the golf course because, you know what, he's going to have to make birdies down the stretch to beat me, and I'm not going to try to – I'm not going to beat myself. Um, that maybe that's why I was you know, covered in that play a lot of times. I, I just didn't give in, and uh, I, I played the golf course first off, and then I adjusted as needed going down the stretch. John, I want to switch gears a little bit. And uh, I was reading that you've worked with Patrick Cantlay on his game. And he's a guy that I think is right on the cusp of winning a major championship. And you look back at his 2019 season, he finished tied for ninth at the Masters, tied for third at the PGA. 
He won the Zozo Championship back in October, finished second at the American Express Championship in January. Talk about working with Patrick and uh, how close he is to breaking through and getting a major. Yeah, you said it right there, uh, Chris. He's he's very he's very close. He knows his he knows his uh, position um, in the game. Uh, I've known him uh, since he was in his middle teens. Uh, he's been in Jamie Mulligan's program since he was a child. You know, seventeen years old. Uh, I think that Patrick, uh, probably fourteen, fifteen, uh, just in high school. He was that you know kid hanging around. You know, Pete Thomas Dulo, myself, John Merrick. John Ballinger, uh, Paul Goidos. He was that little kid that was just, you know, kind of sponging and soaking in everything that we were we were talking about and working with Jamie uh, on. And uh, lo and behold, his senior high school, all of a sudden he was, you know, six foot one and one fifty, and then all of a sudden he was six foot one and one eighty, and now he's hitting a bias. So it was uh, it was very interesting <laughs> to see the transgression of. Uh, the transformation of Patrick Cantley, but he was, uh, you know, always, he wanted knowledge and he was soaking in knowledge. He was always asking questions uh, and uh, wanting to learn more and more. And the transformation of, of Patrick Cantley from the senior year of high school to the sophomore year of college was incredible. Um, not only the talent coming out, but his golf IQ coming out. And you know, taking that into his first couple years as a pro, being very successful, you know, had a you know a, a storied, unfortunate setback with his health and, uh, from his uh, uh, passing at the uh, you know opportune time for him, basically cost him you know two and a half, almost three years. Otherwise, he'd be you know, even further along. But once he came back, and once he he knew that. This is what he wanted to do for the rest of his life, play golf and compete. He just went nose to the grindstone. He is very, very disciplined. He knows his body, knows his body very, very well. And he also knows his place in this game. And it is amongst the best. It's amongst the, the Dustin Johnson, the Brooks Tuckers. Uh, it's amongst those guys. You've got to remember that you know, he was that guy before his Jordan Spieth and Justin Thomas and, and, and those guys. He was he was that guy, and now he's you know gaining more confidence, gaining more um, respect amongst his peers, and there's really no telling um, you know where Patrick can go. He wants Ryder Cups, he wants major championships. That's his mentality. That's the way it's been. John, speaking of majors, and most of us are never going to know what it feels like to be in that sort of pressure cooker of a major going into the last round and, and uh, you know, kind of standing up on the first tee and then standing up on the back nine, trying to win a major championship. You were in the thick of it in 1981 at the U S open at Marion and twice in 92 at the open championship at, at Muirfield and the PGA championship at Bell Reeve. And I guess in my mind, I'm thinking it's sort of like what we hear about the NFL playoffs. Once you get in the playoffs, things, Seem to speed up. Is that what it's like yep. in a major? Do things seem to, you know, tend to speed up? Hundred percent, Chris. It's exactly right. Um, you know, biggest, you know, I, I have a lot to be thankful for in my career, and won a lot, and you know, I've lost a lot. I can tell you how to win. I can tell you how to lose. And unfortunately, I didn't get across that finish line in the major championship, and I had my chances, a, a number of them. Um, the two in 92 definitely come to mind. Uh, 94 U.S. Open, 
Uh, you know, a few more CGAs down the line, but um, I can tell you, you, you hit the nail right on the head again that things do speed up, and that's where you have to be. You have to recognize that, and you have to slow yourself down. Just get ahead of yourself. You can't start predicting. You can't hold the trophy until you got it in your hand. But to that, I was kicking trophies, you know, left and right for a couple of years and never got to kiss one in a major championship. So um, it, it definitely does. So when you recognize that, and that's what the great champions do, that's what the great Hall of Famers do, uh, is they recognize that. They slow things down. They get to their pace. Um, you know, then they execute what what they need to execute. And, uh, you know, you know, looking back, you know, I got ahead of myself in the '92 Open at Um I got going pretty fast, and you know, it cost me kind of down the stretch. The PGA, Nick Price just kind of went out and won it. You know, sometimes there's not much you can do, and it, you know, other than you make make cars and hit quality golf shots, it's just more down the stretch than I did. I didn't feel like I gave that away. Felt like that gave the open championship away to Nick, Nick Fowler, no question about it. Um, but that's why he's the Hall of Famer, the six-time major champion. Is you know he he knew how to close the deal in a major championship. I knew how to close deals, but not in a major, and that's uh, maybe cost me. But um, that's exactly right. You have to slow yourself down, take some more deep breaths, um, you know, and, and uh, execute what uh, is right in front of you. John, I want to switch gears a little bit and uh, kind of get a playing lesson or two from me, if you will. And one of the things I think many of us do, many of us amateurs do, is when we start to feel that pressure, we end up putting like a death grip on the club. Talk about the <laughs> yep. importance of grip pressure and the negative things that can happen if you let pressure manifest itself in your grip. You know, I've been very lucky in my career uh, early on this with uh, my mentor, Ken Maturi. Uh, we always talked about grip pressure and uh, also playing a lot with Tom Weisskopf. Always talked about his grip pressure and you know how you re-grip the club going back. You, you're going to grip it tighter anyway. So just start out to where you know your hands can move and your your, your hands can do the little waggle. Uh, you don't want to stay stiff on them. You, don't, you want the club always moving. You want the body to kind of moving and walking. You don't ever want to stay you know, stationary for too long. Uh, Kenny would always say. You know, keep your feet moving, keep your body moving, and then once you're over the ball, um, you know, a, a one count and then go. One count and go. Um, and, and that's you know, how we got started you know, with my, with my uh, backswing. And uh, not too much grip pressure um, to where you don't want the club to be pulled out of your hand, but just enough to keep it in your hand. Uh, so that, that's the type of grip pressure that you're looking for. Because you will re-grip it um, as stronger as take the club away, and that is uh, exactly what Tom Weisskopf is saying. John, another thing most of us amateurs do is we're, we're focused on score versus the process of hitting good shots. How, how do we not let score come first and free up our minds so that we can execute the shot that our eyes are looking at? Yeah, that's a great question, Chris. And, and another thing that Kenny always said was, you know, you never project ahead. You never, you, great, great scores aren't shot you know, from the first tee. Great scores are adjusted, you know, throughout the round. So when you get on the first tee, you're just trying to hit quality golf shots, quality golf shots, uh, the, to the best of your ability. Never project your head on, oh gosh, I've got, you know, two reachable par four, par five. I've got, you know, a couple easy par fours. Once you get into that trap, that's when you're, 
the realm is basically gone. So you really, really have to you know, stay in the present, never project ahead on what you have in front of you, and you know, just execute as best as you can on that particular moment. That's all you can do. And John, kind of reverting back to pressure, two players that I think that need to kind of free up their minds, especially on Sundays, is Rory McIlroy and Jordan Spieth. If we look ahead to the Masters, if those guys are in a position to win come Sunday late afternoon, what would you say to Rory? What does he need to do to minimize what's going on in his mind trying to complete the career grind slam? Or for Jordan, who's trying to make his, you know, kind of way all the way back, and not make sure those goals from the you know the twelfth hole come back in. How do how do you do that? How do you free up those minds? You know, Sunday is such a different animal, Chris. That it you know it is the finale. Uh, you, you're 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 playing your up to your seventy second hole or maybe even beyond, and you just got to revert back to you know doing what you've been doing. Um, you know, playing golf like you you know out there playing with your friends. Uh, you know, re- relax, really focus and commit each, each and every, each and every swing. And, um, that's basically all you can do. Obviously, with Rory and with Jordan, they have some mechanical flaws in their swings. There's no, there's no question about it. And I'm not saying anything nobody that doesn't know already. Um, but you know, if they're in position to win on Sunday, maybe they've corrected a little bit of those flaws and then just free wheel and trust it. That's all you can do. Uh, on, on Sunday, when it gets down to the last round holes, you have to figure out a way to get to the house. Uh, you do look at the leaderboard, you have to be comfortable there, um, and, and see what's in front of you, and then you adjust on the fly, or you don't have to adjust if you, you know, you still have the lead and you're still right there. And so, for them, it's a little bit mechanical, I, I think, and you know, when it gets you know, pressure on, um, you know, show putt fitness, uh, you know, two shots get missed you know, a little bit wider. The closing weight gets a little bit further, uh, along. Uh, the pressure starts to mount. And, and the more that you can hit quality golf shot after quality golf shot, it takes your mind from the ease off of the next swing. So, you know, whatever the swing is, uh, they've been working on that week that seems to be working. They've got to keep doing it and keep remembering that. Do you remember your first trip to Augusta National back in 79 and what that first drive up Magnolia Lane was like? <laughs> I do. I do. It was, it was incredible. And, you know, I, I really prepared the week before. It was, I was on spring break from Ohio State. Um, I was in uh, Palm Springs. We had a house at Mission Hills, which we had a house there for a number of years. So I was and working on my game there at Mission Hills during the Dinosaur, <laughs> during the Dinosaur. And, um, you know, I played in the Pro-Am a couple of days and you know, trying to get my, my game into shape because, you know, it wasn't sharp, but I, was, I got back to Augusta and drove down my um, lane that first time. I, I just couldn't believe my eyes. I, it's just I mean, a dream to do something that I've been forward to for so, so long and, uh, you know, earned my way into it. I stayed there every step of the way with me. You know, obviously, his history around Augusta National is, is, is uh, you know, quite honored. And I played my practice rounds that year on, uh, he and I played nine holes on Sunday afternoon. And then I played uh, my three practice rounds on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday with Kenny, um, with Tom Weisskopf and with Ed Sneed. Ed Sneed went on and uh, lost in the playoffs in Delaware that year. So, uh, my, my first trip around there as, as an amateur was, uh, just an incredible experience, just being part of the national, being part of the amateur field. 
California Golf Hall of Fame, which looked like a fun but pretty emotional night for you from one of your high school teammates saying it was the honor of his life to introduce you to the uh, the acceptance speech you gave. Talk about what it was like being recognized as an all-time great in your home state. Oh, you're going to make me cheer up again. I mean, that was that was really something. I, I wasn't expecting that. And then uh, Jamie, um, Jamie Mulligan uh, introduced me. Um, I still thought I was okay. I had my uh, my mom and dad were there. I, my oldest daughter was there. Um, I don't think my son could have made it, but uh, you know, of course, my wife was there. And, you know, Jamie in, in introduced me, and I got up there, and I thought I was all prepared, and I wasn't prepared for something like that. It was such an honor uh, to be inducted into the Southern uh, Hall of Fame. You know, it just uh, you know, I I cut my teeth in Southern California. I played. You know, the Southern Cal Junior Golf Association. We played in the summertime. We played, you know, three or four tournaments a week at, you know, uh, you know parks and recreation courses, public courses, country clubs, uh, all over Southern California. And you know, to move on and then, you know, go, go to Ohio State and come back and, you know, live there for so long and win tournaments in California. It, it just is an emotional night, something I'll never forget. It's, uh, you know, I think Kenny had passed away earlier that that that, uh, that spring. Um, so there was a lot of emotions going through. Uh, I remember looking out uh, amongst the, the audience there and just going, "Man, I can't believe this!" But I'm losing it right now. I don't know how to I didn't know how to gain control. And it's uh, yeah, we got through it. And it's Southern Cal PGA, and also uh, in Ohio as well. Um, you know, they they recognized me a few years ago as well. And, um, you know, those are things that, you know, they weren't goals of mine, but dedication and sacrifice and commitment, uh, those things can happen. You know, they can happen to anybody out there. And uh, I'm just truly honored to be part of uh, the Hall of Fame. John, before I let you go, let our listeners know, how can they stay up to date with you? What do you got coming up on your schedule and then uh, on your show as well? Yeah, so we um, I kind of backed down a little bit from Sirius. I'm still doing... Uh, shows, but I'm doing doing it with uh, Craig Can, who I was doing it with before, but not every single week because you know once my golf channel schedule starts cranking up, you know, there's a lot of days that I I was gonna be missing. Um but I wanted to stay part of the channel. I wanted to stay part of uh, Craig's show. Um so Wednesday nights from seven to nine Eastern um most uh, I'm gonna say probably at least twice a month or a couple, you know, maybe three times a month I'll be on with Craig. Um, and then uh, I'll be doing my golf channel uh, duties out on the PGA Tour Champions. I'll be doing 
uh, all of our previous events, uh, 25 of those events. And we've only played two so far, so I feel like that's really been on a, a long, long winter and spring break and ready to get back to work. Um, but um, I'll be doing uh, a lot of that and uh, hopefully a U.S. Open. I'll be at Torrey Pines doing something. Uh, and also then for the Open Championship and the Senior uh, in July at uh, at uh, Royal St. George and also at Sunnydale. So that, that's pretty much my schedule. I won't be competing much. I still play a lot of golf, but not uh, not competing. And um, But uh, I enjoy it more than probably I did the last few years of my competitive career. But I love what I'm doing. I love talking about golf. I love studying the word. love helping people. And it's just like you and I are chatting golf. That's what I'm trying to do out there on the golf and on the radio. Well, John, before I let you go, I want to reprise something from your uh, SEGA Hall of Fame speech. You said, my mentor and close friend Ken Venturi once told his dad he was really good at golf. His dad replied, when you're good at something, tell people. But if you're really good at something, they'll tell you. And I want to thank the SEGA for telling me I was a really good player. Well, John, you were a really good player. You're also a really good broadcaster. And from uh, the times I've got to spend with you, I can tell you're a 10 times better person. And I can't thank you enough for coming back and being a part of the show again tonight. Well, Chris, it's my pleasure, as always. And thank you for those kind words. I'll never forget those words from Kenny Venturi. And uh, I, I live by those. I live by those. And it, it's fun to be part of this great game. Uh, there's not a better game on the planet. And uh, there's so, so many good people in this game. Uh, including you there, Chris, and I appreciate you having me on anytime. John, take care. Stay safe out there, my friend. I hope we get the opportunity to catch up with you soon. Between now and then, uh, take care, and like I say, all the best to you and your family. My family. My, my pleasure. Thank you very much. See you, John. That's a great John Cook, folks. You want to talk about a heck of a player. You know, you want to say 11 PGA Tour wins, 10 more on the Champions Tour. Uh, but then what he has meant to the game of golf, again, in a couple of Hall of Fames, which you can tell why he's in those Hall of Fames, right? It's not all about just what you do on the golf course. It's also what you do off of it. John was a great player on it. And like I say, from uh, the privilege I've had of getting to know him just a little bit uh, over the last uh, probably six or nine months, you can tell uh, what a great person he is and how much he gives back. And then uh, working with guys like Patrick Cantlay and then being on PGA Tour Radio, and all of those, the golf channel, obviously, as well. Um, it's sort of that great package, right? Great player, great person. That's how you get in those Hall of Fame. That's how you get to know all of the people that John has gotten to know over the years and that sort of thing and all the opportunities that have uh, that have come his way. Uh, super guy and really, really enjoyed myself. I hope, uh, like I say, I hope we get the privilege of going for number three here before too long. 